Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, and, and um, happy Pentecost Day to all of you. And what a blessing it is that we're able to once again uh, be able to open up God's Word this morning. If you're here for the very first time joining us online, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and happy that you're able to come and join us this morning. So, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it, I normally, I, I just get right into the Word, but it is uh, probably very, very important for me to address. Uh, I, it kind of hit me this morning, normally when we gather together, if there's something in my heart that I want to share, then we get to fellowship before and afterwards, kind of share with you and able to have you have time to ask questions and stuff. But let me share from my heart before we get into the word. Um, I hope this one is, brings clarity of what my thoughts are over been in the last uh, months, but weeks, especially yes, uh, Friday, uh, and not in being able to gather together as a church family in person uh, because of some decisions made uh, by um, our government. Now, let me start by saying the one word that just keeps coming back to my mind is grieved. Um, there's a sorrow and a grief that uh, is great uh, in my heart because like many of you, I am sure you're grieving as well uh, over the loss of just us not being able to fellowship with one another uh, in person, that we have been um, brought to a point of a mindset that for many to, that we should distance ourselves from, uh, for with, from real personal interaction. That is not God's intention. That is not God's way. We are to personally interact with people. We also, I'm grieved, I'm sure we are all grieved over the loss of many due to a viruses and sicknesses and not just COVID-19. I'm grieved, and I'm sure you're grieved over the division and the hatred, the darkness that seems to be permeating like a cancer across this nation of ours. And our country is truly is at a point of tipping that this country, it just it hurts my heart to see and to hear of, of how people see what is going on and not understanding that the root of what we're seeing is sin of man. And it's the sin of man, it's that heart, that sinful heart that is what is being now reflected on our uh, TVs and, and, and throughout the uh, different media sources. We're seeing an out-of-control lawlessness that God says we will see at the end times of people out of control because they have cast God aside and they are just looking at what from their own perspective and the, 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 it's just the lawlessness is reigning. We are absolutely, I'm absolutely grieved over the horrific murder of George Floyd. And the more I read about this man, God was using him. He had a faith in Jesus Christ and it appears that he was out there doing the work of God, and he is now in the hands of our Lord. That's what, that's what I have peace about, that he is in the hands of the Lord, and he is absolutely where I want to be. <laughs> so in due time, the Lord will take us all home for those who believe in him. 
But I also grieve, and I'm sure we all grieve, also by the grieving of the such of watching what's happening and how the people react, but also how so cavalier people can just overlook the millions of babies that are being killed in the womb of a mother. Abortion, the death of abortion, and how so many of this country do not grieve over the lives of those babies. But I grieve over the lawlessness. I grieve over the fact that the, uh, the enemy has allowed to come up to the Supreme Court of our country and then we have seen a decision on Friday to erode our First Amendment to freely uh, gather together to worship our Lord. And all of those, that change, that subtleness, that change, on, and by redefining the First Amendment now with a caveat, with the thing, this applies except by safety and uh, health, that then people in position of authority can come and make a different decision. Now, I, I grieve over this because I know that uh, I have to come back to the Scripture, and I want to encourage you to come back to the Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So our eyes are not on man, but it's got to be on the fact that it may be through prayer and, and trusting our God that we must pray that the demonic forces that are, are permeating into the hearts of those who receive and love darkness and being used by Satan and his d demonic forces to do uh, things that are against uh, godly, godly ways. But in 2 Corinthians 7, 10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And we are seeing this in our life today. But godly sorrow centered on Christ. When we keep our eyes on Christ, it produces not destruction. But there's a peace when we focus upon our Lord. There's a peace that will come. And we need repentance in this nation in our hearts. And the answer is truly Jesus. It's like, that, like in the children's ministry. You know, uh, you know, who gave us our snack today? Jesus. <laughs> How did you get here in the car? Jesus. I mean, every, they keep us such a simplicity. Why can't adults do the same? Of how much we need Jesus. John 16.33 says. Jesus says there. And John that these things I have spoken to you. That in me you have peace. And in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good, of good cheer. I have overcome the world. <laughs> you have to remember. The one we follow. Our Savior has already overcome the world. We're just waiting to go home. We're waiting for him to bring everything back. In alignment when we come back to rule and reign with him. In John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, but let your not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you know that the scripture applies to our hearts of that scripture applies to us today? You need to remember these things. This is not scriptures for them in the past, but for us today. It's, it's living and breathing, and God is speaking to our hearts today about these things. 
We do not need to be afraid. I love the psalmist when he says in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, I will lift my eyes to the hills from which comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We need to have a national prayer across our country. And I pray that not only do we unite as a body of believers, as a church body across this nation and world to be praying for not only for our nation and for our nation's leaders, but for our state specifically. There's a darkness that we do not are afraid of. We do not fear at all. But we can see as we've been studying in the book of Exodus that God is going to have his way and Pharaoh thought he was in control, and he quickly found out, the Egyptian people and Pharaoh found, quickly found out that God is in control, and God will do whatever he needs to do to free his people to go out to worship him and go to the, as he goes to and takes them to the promised land. And it doesn't matter what the rulers say and do. They may think they can control and they have power, but they have no power over our God. And over his bride. And we're his bride. So that should bring great comfort for you and I. As we continue in the book of Exodus. And today is the day of. Uh, we celebrate the festival of Pentecost. Or it's the birth of the church. We see that it's a Christian time of a celebration. Because it's 50 days after the seventh. Or the seventh Sunday. After that after resurrection Sunday. So we celebrate this is at the time when Jesus said to the apostles and followers to go to Jerusalem and wait. And they're there celebrating the Feast of Weeks. And we see in Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 31, the birth of the church. And the church is alive and well. <laughs> and we are going to be going home soon. And I love, and we know here at Calvary Chapel, our key verse that we have when we started the church back, uh, the Lord said, this is when you want to start it. And this is the verse, it's Acts 2.42. As they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. I know that the Lord will be bringing us back together as a church family here at Calvary Chapel North Country and soon and very soon where we will be in person studying the word of God in fellowship, in person, face to face, in the breaking of bread, the unity of as a body of believers, which remind you we're going to have communion next week, Lord willing, God can make a way to, for us to be able to gather together here in person next week. He can make a way. But if there's, for some reason we continue to hold, we'll be taking communion uh, as we have over the last few months. Uh, so make sure you have your juice and your cracker with you. And then we will be in prayer, not only throughout the week, but we'll be in prayer uh, for you as we dearly, dearly miss you. Now as we continue in Exodus, don't forget... We've watched this ex Pharaoh experience, and we've been going through a Pharaoh experience ourselves as God's people had to go through the tremendous tribulations and challenges for them to be able to be released out of Egypt to go through, and God made a way across the sea as we worshiped in song. God, they did not see how this was going to happen, but God parted the Red Sea, and the people walked across the dry land into 
uh, the next step of the journey. And it wasn't easy through their journey. As we come now to Mount Sinai, we find ourselves in the scriptures over the last several chapters here on their way to the promised land. It, would it not be so simple if we had like a child's view of life <clears throat> and how simple it appears to a child when it comes to worshiping their God? It brought back to my memory this, <laughs> coming, uh, this, uh, this last couple of days of just Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Whoa, let my people go. Yeah, la, la, la. And we would say that over and over and over in the ch in children's ministry. And how simple that is. And the childlike heart as they worship God and to know how powerful their God is. So simple. That let us, the people, go and to worship their God as God leads and tells us to do. And today, as we continue in the book of Exodus, we're going to see God has, takes Moses, this leader he has raised up over the years. He's raised up, and he says, and he tells Moses, the covenant started, if you remember, with the Ten Commandments and the other expanded judgments that were lined out in chapters 20 through 23. It's referred to as the book of, of, of the covenant or the law. David refers to this exact law in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. He says, a man who has his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in, in his law he meditates day and night. This is the law that he was referring to. I ponder on the things of the truths of God, the commandments, the judgments, the truths, and I meditate them on day and night because I want my life to reflect what is truth that God has given through, through uh, Moses to his people. And we too must want to desire, like this man, the psalmist, have a desire for the word of God and to read the word of God and to meditate on it day and night. So that it would have an effect on our hearts and our lives and our families and our communities. And faithful to his promises, God, we see in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, the Lord delivered and redeemed his people from Egypt. And we saw those in the first 18 chapters. Now as Sinai, we are then, he adopts them into himself with his special treasure as we see in chapters of Exodus of 19 through today, the end of that section of chapter 24 that we will see today. And he will take and we'll see in chapter 24 as his final preparation of his people, as he's giving them the Ten Commandments on stones and, and the additional uh, preparations, we will see that he's going to be confirming his covenant with his people here in chapter 24. And then, Lord willing, in the chapters to come, verses uh, chapters twenty-five through forty, we will see him. We'll us. will take us through as the scriptures will take us into the next phase, the third phase, the final phase, where he will faithfully rest and fulfill the promise of coming of the camp of Israel to dwell with his people. And we will see uh, in uh, twenty-five and on as he comes and uh, lays out how his people will worship him when he comes into their presence there in the tabernacle. 
Now, with that said, make sure you have your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24, where we'll pick right back up where we left off. Now, he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. So we see here, God says to Moses, come up to the Lord. Lord is now resting on the top of Mount Sinai, and he's calling him back up to the mountaintop experience. And he says this time to bring Aaron, his brother, his oldest brother, and in Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abenhu, and these two guys, these two older sons of Aaron, which will soon, as we know, as if you read ahead and you know uh, the scriptures, those two sons will soon be wiped out when they offer strange fire before the Lord at the dedication of the tabernacle. And we'll get into, into Leviticus uh, some stuff there. But also, not only them, we'll see that the 70 of the elders... These 70 appointed leaders that probably in response to his father's, father-in-law's suggestion back in chapter 18 where he says you need to have others come up and raise them up and train them up so that they can minister to and judge rightly to the people from the smallest of groups to the largest and let you take on the big things that come up to bubble up to you. So we see that he's going to take Aaron and Aaron's two sons and these 70 leaders and they're going to go and worship from afar. And Moses, in verse 2, and Moses alone shall come near the Lord as he comes alone there, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So we're reminded as we look at the verses, these first two verses, we're reminded that God spoke to Exodus uh, in Exodus chapters 20, uh, verse 22 through 23, verse 33, to Moses alone. Now he's bringing others closer and coming up the mountain, but keeping their distance from afar. Except for Moses. Moses will continue to go in and have that one-on-one time with the Lord at the top of the hill, of the mountain. Because God was now ready to confirm and bring a confirmed covenant with his people. We were, they referred to as the Mosaic Covenant. But the group of 73 here were to stay from afar and only can come so far. And we see that as they're coming uh, closer and they're still from afar to praise God. We see in James 4.8 that draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And it is not a wonder we see in the New Testament, the New Covenant, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So in the New Covenant, we're able to come and find rest by drawing closer. But in the Old Testament, they could only come to a point where God said they can come to. And that was they were to keep afar uh, still stay afar in a time of this, uh, this, this moment we find here in Exodus, except for Moses. But remember, under the law, God determined how close you could get to him. And you decided to yield to him and obey if you would, if you'd like to. 
So he's sitting there. This is how far you can get to me. And it's up to you to make that decision. And you had to be obedient or not. There's consequences to that. But under the new covenant, God removes the boundary, the, the, the hindrance from you to be able to come boldly into the throne of God. So God removes the boundary and makes a way and we determine how close we want to get to God. How close of a relationship you want with God is up to you and to me. Under the new covenant. By God's grace, because of the work of Christ on the cross, he removed the barrier to allow us to freely come to him and have a personal relationship with him. And because of that, because of the work of Christ on the cross, I can boldly come into the throne of grace. Now there are times I don't feel that emotionally I could and should go into the throne of grace. And come boldly into the throne and to worship and to spend time with him. But what I have learned is regardless of how I feel, I continue to boldly come to him and to worship him. I continue to boldly step forward regardless of how I feel and come to into his presence and fall down and worship him because I want to experience a deeper relationship with God. I show up regardless of how I feel to worship my God each day. Because worship is not about a feeling. It's all about who God is. And he is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to receive the glory and the honor that he is due. Because he has created all things. And he created all these things for his pleasure. And he created to me, he created you for his own pleasure. He desires for us to worship him. He desires to pour out his blessing upon his children. So regardless of how you feel, God has made a way for you and I to get over that. It's not about feelings. It's all about what God has done for you personally should be the driving factor of love, not fear. Remember, the people at the bottom of that Mount Sinai was fearful to even want to even come close to that mountain. Moses, you speak to me, to, to, to God for us. You go do that. We're going to stay right here because there's a fear of drawing close to God because they know their hearts. And God put a hedge of a boundary. Matter of fact, he told Moses, get you and your guys and make sure there's a boundary, there's a fence line there. Put some caution tape up. Don't touch the base of the mountain because they'll be consumed by my presence. But now God has made a way that we can boldly come. Boldly come into his presence. So in verse 3, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. Wow. Are the people changing here? Are they so quick and so eager to be obedient to God's word now? But Moses told the people everything that the Lord told them. 
Lord said, go tell your people this. I'm coming down, I'm going to tell them everything. And he did. All the judgments, all the commandments, everything God's been telling Moses, Moses told the people, and they in one voice said, absolutely we will do. So what does Moses do? <laughs> I love this because in verse 4, you can see Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. Let me write everything down on paper because I want to make sure you remember everything I told you, you said I will do. So he says, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. See, the people, Israel people here, verbally agreed to the covenant relationship with God. But there is a sense in which this is so simply not enough for the people. That they must do some specific things to confirm their covenant with God. And we're going to see how they're going to solidify this covenant and confirm the covenant with its people. It won't be just words, but it will be written down and by the blood we will see the covenant will take place of confirmation. So the very first thing of this confirmation of confirming this covenant with his people we see right up front is that God's word was written down right here in verse 4. The very first reference of the written word is right here in the scriptures. The written word that we read is right here for the very first time written down. And God's word was so important, important enough that it was not to be left up to some human recollection or, or interpretation. I, this is what I heard. This is what I think I heard and this is what I believe. So this is what I'm going to write down and create my own book. No, it was written down. There's no human interaction on this at all. It's God's word and it was written down. God did not make an individual covenant with your own personal arrangement of what God wants to do with you. But there is one covenant. The same is true today under the new covenant. You do not have a personal relationship with God with your own personal relationship. You know, me and God has our own little thing. He says, I can do this thing, and I can do this thing, and I don't have to do this thing, and I can go anywhere here, even if it goes against the word of God. God and I are tight. Well, he'll, 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 he'll let me slide on this stuff. No. You know what? The new covenant doesn't work that way. It didn't work like that under the old covenant. God's word has to be obeyed. And God's word cannot be added nor deleted because you think you have some special arrangement with God. That's not how it works. You don't have some private agreement with him that contradicts the revealed word of God right here. Now, not only was the to, to, get, to bring confirmation in this of this covenant with his people, not only was his word written down, but the second thing notice here at the uh, what Moses does is he built an altar. At the foot of Mount Sinai, he erected an altar with 12 stone pillars representing the Israel's tribe. 
Because knowing, knowing that without the shedding of blood, there could be no remissions of sins. We see that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. So Moses built an altar. This the altar speaks of the ultimate altar that would come and that would take place at the cross of Calvary when the Lamb of God was slain for you and for me. A place where our sins would be cleansed forever. And then as Moses built this altar, then you notice he says in verse 5, then he sent, these young, sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed per, uh, peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. These young men are probably the young men that were the firstborn that were to give a, a sacrifice to give to the work of God. Or it could be even more practical than that. He needed young men because they were going to deal with ox and <laughs> these big ox, and they needed young men who were strong enough to deal with these big ox and put them on the altar so they could have all the sacrifice taking. And needed some young, healthy, young, strong men to deal with this. But what they were going to do is have a burnt offering, an offering of consecration, a dedication of your life to God. That is what the burnt offering is. It was completely consumed on the altar. That sacrifice was completely consumed. It represented consecration with God, an offering, and it means that your life was to be completely consumed of God. That's what the burnt offering meant. Now, the peace offering means communion or a fellowship or the offer of fellowship. I mean, they took this meat, they roasted it there, and a portion went to God and a portion went to the people. And they, they, they communed together. They had a meal together. It was a fellowshipping with God. It's a unity with God. That was the peace offering. So the third thing to bring this covenant, confirmation of this covenant between God and his people, this third covenant was only made in the context of sacrifice. A sacrifice admits of our own sin and the failing before God and it addresses that need through the death of a substitute and in this case, that animal on that altar. And in verse 6, And Moses took... Half the blood and put it in the in, put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read the in the hearing of the people, and they said, "All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient." So we see the fourth stage or the fourth key element of, of, of the confirmed covenant with his people here. A covenant was made when God's word is read and heard and responded to out of obedience. Did you catch that? The book of the covenant, the law was open. Moses read it to the people. They heard it. And they responded saying, I will do, I will be obedient to what God's word just told me to do. Our covenant with God is based on his words and his terms. 
not our own words and our own terms. And there must be a response to God's word. Just as much as God would not negotiate his covenant with Israel, neither will he force it upon them. They must freely respond to God's word. So Moses read the book of the covenant. And then we waited to see how the people were going to respond to God's word. And, had, and once again, if they're going to commit to their lives completely consumed for God. And here we see that God is once again finally bringing what he said would happen, what he promised would happen. Here we see the actual confirmed covenant with his people and his people responded and said, yes, we agree and obey your words. And so in verse 8, and Moses took the blood sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So the fifth element here of this covenant, confirmed covenant, is that it was made with the application of blood. As the nation received the blood of the covenant, the covenant was sealed. This is the, a blood covenant between God and his people. There's no ma something magical about this blood, but because it, it represented the life of a being, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, Leviticus 17, 11. Blood represents the outpouring of a life. One life being given for another. A substitute. Half of the blood being sprinkled on the altar and the other half of the blood was being sprinkled on the people. How amazing and mm, interesting moment for the people at that time. Because this is the only place we see where blood is sprinkled on the people. Right here. In the scriptures. And it showed this mutual bond, this covenant between God and his people. It's the only time in the Old Testament we see... People being sprinkled with blood. What an interesting moment that must have been. <laughs> Some of you are going, ooh. <laughs> I'm so glad I wasn't there at that moment. But this sprinkling of blood on them showed a legal transaction between them and God. Between that altar and the people represented by the stones there, we see there's a legal transaction, a, a, a confirmation, a ceremonial confirmation, confirmation that he, these people have chosen to be set apart through the blood, the blood of the covenant, as the people are now God's true people. As the people of a true God, it's, that's his people. And this, this sprinkling of blood was a confirmation that they were going to live lives set apart from the rest of the world. Later in the New Covenant, established by Jesus, was also ratified by what? By blood. His own blood. Luke twenty two twenty, 20, we see Jesus says, 
He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And it's Jesus' blood. The blood of Jesus' covenant saves us. This is my body of the new covenant, which is shed for, the men, for many for the remissions of sins, Matthew 26, 28. Salvation comes by the blood of Jesus. And it's Jesus' covenant is also the foundation for yours and for my growth and maturity in Christ, which we refer to as sanctification. Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21 says, Now may the Lord, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 9, we now see here that Moses went up, just as God has said. He brings Aaron, his two sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of, Is uh, the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Now this is a very interesting section here, especially in verse 10, where they bringing them up as God asked Moses to do, and they saw the God of Israel. Now that's interesting as you grapple with that in your mind. How could that be? Because the scripture says that no one has seen God. So it's difficult to say exactly what they saw, but what they saw was under his feet, it says... Suggesting that the most they saw was the footstool of God. But what they, the scriptures really clearly saying to them and to us today is they saw God in the fact that now there's a theophany. A manifestation of God, the appearance of Jesus Christ. And we see that supported in the scriptures throughout the Old Testament. The God allowed the elders of Israel to see such a spectacular vision is amazing. And it impresses on them who God truly is in God's presence. And it wasn't just Moses talking. They actually got to experience a part of that. An experience that would cause them to trust God at even a deeper level as God revealed himself even more to, not only to Moses, to his people. But we see in the scriptures, we see it even in Numbers, chapter 12, verse 8, Isaiah 6, 1, Ezekiel 1, 26, this appearance of the divine presence of God. Was it a form or a similitude of the Lord? Was it a resemblance of the incarnation of Christ who was to come? But when you look at the scriptures, look at Isaiah, Isaiah 6.1. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. He saw the Lord. 
Ezekiel in chapter 1, Ezekiel 126 says, God has seated, uh, has seated on a sapphire throne over a crystal fulfillment. John, John speaks of, this, of the throne of God in Revelation 4. The blue of the sapphire may suggest that the elders saw the sea of glass before the throne of God here, right there as he refers to the sapphire stone that they saw as, as a paved work. I love that word paved. Because if you remember, the life they came from was creating bricks and pavement out of bricks and straw and mud. And now they're seeing their future. And that is a paved sapphire foundation. The old life and the new life to come. What amazing glimpse of God uh, that they gave to him at that, at that time. Now in verse 11, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. So now if he's referring to here these nobles, these ones he's called up there, he did not lay his hand on, meaning they were not consumed by God's presence at this moment in time. By his grace, they allowed him to come, them to come closer and experience God even more by his grace. And they did not die in his presence. Why? Because it was about a relationship and he was bringing his people. There was a covenant and he was going to protect them and do and fulfill those promises. And they confirmed this covenant. How? They ate and drank right there to confirm. It was very common back in those days for a ratification of a, co a, a, a covenant or to confirm a covenant was through and at the end of that covenant with a meal. We see that in Genesis 26 30. But this sense of fellowship. That these leaders of Israel that God allowed to come in, it was part of the peace offering between them and God. What an amazing moment for the people there. The Mosaic Covenant has now been confirmed here in verses 1 through 11. And Israel was a now a theocracy, a government under God's control. They served God and he led them because he God has redeemed from the bondage the, his people from the bondage from uh, Pharaoh and from the world to Egypt he's now that God has redeemed him had brought him into a new co this covenant with him and now he is to oversee and to rule and it was he is to lead his people and because of that over the next several chapters, we are going to see God says, now I am your king. I am your Lord. I am in control. You, I rule you. There is a way to worship me. And we will see that God is going to give Moses here uh, information of what he needs to share with the people of how they're going to worship God and to prepare a place for him to dwell in and amongst the people as we will see with the tabernacle. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So remember, you had the majority of the 2.5 that are keeping a distance away at the very base and they're all they can do is see that the top of the mountain is on fire. God then says, okay, Moses, you're going to bring Aaron 
his two oldest sons and the 70 leaders, be it six from each tribe, or these are the, in each of these representatives, these elders from these tribes that were, uh, was overseeing and, and judging, I'm going to, to bring them closer to me because I'm going to set them apart to be able to help you and to oversee and to guide and to minister to my people and judge rightly because I'm about to give you the Ten Commandments. I'm about to give you the judgments. I'm about to give you clarity. And so they get to come closer, but then they have to stop. And then we're going to see now as they move forward, Further, that he tells Moses, come up to me on the mount because I'm going to give you tablets of stone, the two tablets. And on that will be the law. And I will also be giving you commandments on top of that, judgments, things you're going to have to write down, directions from me specifically. And then what I want you to do with that. Once I give you my word, what do you do with it? You are to then teach it notice that that you may teach it to them his people so here he goes we find in verse 13 so moses arose from his, uh, arose with his assistant joshua and moses went up to the mountain of god and he said to the elders wait here for us until we come back to you indeed aaron and her are you are with you if any man has any difficulty, let him go to them. So we see here now Moses is about to send. He brings a, uh, his assistant with him. And it's going to not be his brother Aaron. It's going to be Joshua. Now remember, Joshua, as we will see in the scriptures as we continue, is going to be significant in helping Moses and helping God's people. So as God's invitation says to come up, he comes up, but he brings Joshua with him. The same Joshua who became the great leader uh, God used to fight back the enemy, if you remember, and to help Israel to come into the promised land and eventually. And we will see that he's going to use uh, him now to... Moses move up uh, into uh, uh, to closer to God. But Joshua, even though he's accompanying Moses for a little bit further, we are going to see that as they get up there, they're going to get draw closer, but they're going to wait at a certain point there. And while they're doing that, he's appointing Aaron and her to be the leaders of the rest of the people down at the base of the mountain. Now, Moses had good basis to appoint Aaron and her to be the leaders of his people while he's out of town, <laughs> or in this case, up on the mountain. But we know what the scripture tells us, that not everything goes as planned in Moses' head, that thinking Aaron and her was going to take care of everything of his people, because we, we know that as they even though they proved to be reliable at the time and capable of assisting Moses in prayer. Remember in Exodus 17, holding up their arms. Aaron had one side and her had the other side, holding up his, uh, their arms while, while Joshua was down there with the people battling the enemy. Yet Aaron did not do a good job while Moses was gone because later on we see in the scripture, we see when uh, Moses comes back down with those tablets, with the law, that there's a, a little kind of a moment happening with some little golden calf debacle that was happening with the people. 
So Aaron was not leading and choosing wisely. He, he, he buckled to the pressure of the people. But you notice in the scriptures when we get to that point, her is not mentioned at all. So it sounds like her was not involved in what is mentioned about that debacle with the golden calf. So then we see in verse 15, Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. The Shekinah glory could probably was just absolutely breathtaking. But here we are. People at the base, they're doing their thing. They're obviously overcoming Aaron and, and move, leading and, uh, and doing things they shouldn't be doing, it appears. 70, the 73 plus Moses, the 74 are, are making their way into another stagings. And then Joshua, then Moses moves on to the next stage. And they sit there at that stage of that place, somewhere on that mountain, for six days waiting. Then God, in his all of his glory, rested in Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered there for six days as they waited and waited. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Moses. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I sit there and I read that and I was like, okay, okay, Joshua. What is it going to be like? Joshua saying to Moses, Moses, what am I going to expect? What is this going to be like? Do I have to be worried? Do I have to be concerned? How, how far do we go? Where do we not go? I mean, can you imagine the conversation between Moses and Joshua? Joshua's never been where Moses has been before. And you know Moses in there. Stay calm, man. Stay calm. Don't overreact. Don't rush. Stick with me here. I've been down up this path before. Just stick with me here. We're just going to make steps, and God is going to tell us what to do next. I don't know what was going to happen next. I just know what happened before when I did this, and I know we're not going to get ahead of God here. And they get to a point, and they sit there preparing. What do you do for six days? Waiting for God to patiently wait for God to say, now it's time. <laughs> Don't you find that sometimes for us? We go, 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 we're ready to go, and this is incredible, I can't wait to move forward, and all of a sudden, God just goes silent. And day after day, you're just sitting and waiting for God to tell you what to do next. And when it's perfect timing, when it, the time is complete, that seventh day, God said, Moses, he called out to Moses out of the midst of the cloud, the sight of all of his splendor and glory of the Lord, like a consuming fire at the top of the mountain. Now it's time. So Moses, verse 18, went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. That means he was in the cloud for 34 
days. Right? Because at first he was waiting for six, six days. It wasn't until the seventh day of the completion of the 40 days and 40 nights he's on the mountain in the midst of God in there receiving. What was he doing for all of those days? Didn't God just sit there and say, Moses, good to see you. Here's the two stone tablets with my Ten Commandments and uh, have a great life. I'll be watching you. <laughs> we know the story, don't we? He was in the midst of that cloud receiving God. Why did it take so long? Because it wasn't just the Ten Commandments that he received on the two tablets. He had to write down all of the heavenly pattern that we see mentioned in the scripture, the heavenly pattern of things to come called the tabernacle. He had to write down, as we will see in chapter 25 and continue, we will see the details of everything he will have to build and prepare for God's presence to come and dwell amongst in the middle of the camp. Not only to prepare a place for God's presence, but also all the utensils and everything from the Ark of the Covenant, everything. And we will see that lined up. He had to take the days and time to write it all out to make, come down and prepare the place that God said. Can you imagine the responsibility of Moses that God had entrusted him that he would come and he was not consumed by coming into that cloud uh, for God to speak to him and to reveal heavenly pattern or heavenly things for that he would be doing for God, for his people. Where God would dwell and where God's people would come to worship their God in unity and fellowship with God. Incredible moment right here. What a, what a heavy moment of 40 days and 40 nights. But we can skip ahead. And I encourage you to skip ahead and read. Because it doesn't go well. Because we also know in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 9. That during that time of 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat nor drink anything. He fasted during that whole entire time. How can that happen? How do you stay alive? With no water and no food for, for 40 days and 40 nights, only by God's strength. But I think it gets even better. We, I won't get out too far ahead. But just ponder on this. I hope this stimulates you to go and read ahead anyway. He comes off the mountain, if you remember. He sees the debacle of what's going on that's going against God with his golden calf. And what does he do with those two tablets he just spent 40 days going up and coming out? Busted. What did he do? He went back up into, on top of that mountain, another 40 days, I believe, in 40 nights. So imagine 80 days of no eating or drinking. Only God could do a sustained a person's life. That's amazing. Read ahead. It's going to get good. 20, chapters 25 through 40 is going to be good. 
and we will finish up the book of Exodus. But in chapter 25, we will see what God had specifically told Moses in that cloud during those 40 days and 40 nights. And it is going again, the confirmed covenant is set. Now we may move on to the next phase, which is God's dwelling in the midst of the camp and all of how you are to worship God according to God's way. And that will be all spelled out over the next several chapters.